Let me pray for us. Father God, these things are are too wonderful for us. Things of uh, eternity, things of you. Things of life eternal. Uh, through you, through your, the resurrection of your son. And uh, we know in our hearts we've heard things before and yet it would take a miracle really for them to take root in our hearts, to change us. So please, by your spirit, would you do that today? Would you make sure we are always changed, <laughs> as we've just been singing, forever I am changed uh, by you and by your word and by your son. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, I don't know about you, but my, my memory's pretty hazy. Uh, by that I mean, if Hannah and I had a conversation about what the weather was like on our wedding day, um, we'd probably have some disagreements. It'd be like, well, I thought it was sunny. I thought it was a bit windy, a bit cold. Uh, maybe it was rainy, maybe it was dry. You know, what? It was raining, thank you. Um, point, point proven. Um, or maybe the arrival day of one of our children, you know, uh, was it was it Friday? It, it was a Friday, actually, I do remember that, but... Um, you know, what day of the week was it? The details all are a bit hazy. But then if you had an argument about that, you get to the end of it thinking, what well, does it really matter? Which day of the week it was, or, or whether it was sunny or, or dry, uh, or wet. And what is clear in all those debates about the details is that it doesn't really matter, right? That's something that we can agree. It doesn't matter. If we were to ask the same thing about the resurrection... What would your instinctive answer be? If you were to ask the question, what would you say is riding on the resurrection? As in, is it, is it like of big importance either way? Or is it of insignificance either way? What would your gut reaction to that be? Maybe you say, oh, well, the resurrection actually doesn't really seem to have much of an impact on my life either way. Maybe it has no impact. Maybe you just don't know. In other words, does it fit into that same category as the weather on my wedding day? Or is it of an entirely different category altogether? Is it one of those kind of things that you just, you just have to know either way? You have to know whether it's true or not, whether it really did happen. Well, I hope you're open to doing that. And I hope one of the reasons perhaps God has brought you here today is that he's starting to help you to be open to thinking that through for yourself. Uh, But last week, as we looked at um, the garden that Jesus was praying in before his arrest and trial and then his execution, we heard him pray these words. He said this, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. will. My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. In essence, Jesus was choosing to say, whatever happens here, however bad this is going to get, I know that you will deliver me. I know you're going to deliver me. That's what his choice was. And so actually, um, what's riding on the resurrection is whether God, the Father, is trustworthy. Whether he can be trusted. Because Jesus is entrusting himself fully, 100%. Saying, I'm in your hands. He's entrusting himself that the Father will deliver him through death and vindicate him.
can the Father be trusted? Well, the first answer to that question of what's riding on the resurrection is that, isn't it? It's, it's whether God can be trusted, whether his word means anything, whether he can be trusted with the eternal glory of the Son, whether he's going to come good on that. And we're going to be looking at John chapter 20, and the reason for that is that this chapter is written as evidence for the resurrection. It's written so that we might have a look at it and have a think about it together and see what it says and see, is the resurrection credible? What evidence is there for the resurrection? Because if it is one of those things that falls into the category of groundbreaking and you've got to know whether it happened or not, then this would be the way that you can find out. Um, So George is going to come up and read, and we're going to be reading from John chapter 19, first of all, and from verse... 30. So if you'd like to look down in your Bibles at that verse, uh, verse 30, we're going to read to the end of chapter 19. Okay? And the reason why we're reading this is, first of all, we've got to know, in order for there to be a resurrection, we've got to know that Jesus was actually dead. That's obvious, isn't it? Was Jesus dead? How do we know? Let's have a look together. Uh, George is going to come up and read from verse 30 uh, through to verse 37. Verse 30. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Since it was the day of preparation, and so that the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was a high day, The Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. So the the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the other who came and had been crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his sides with a spear. And at once there came out blood and water. He who saw it has borne witness. His testimony is true. He knows what he is telling the truth. That you also may believe. For these things took place that the scriptures might be fulfilled. No, not one of his bones will be broken. And again another scripture says, They will look on him. Um, welcome to everyone who's just arrived. Uh, we've just read, had our first reading, and it's uh, from John chapter 19. Um, it's on page 906, and uh, if you'd like to turn there. Um, we're seeing that John tells us first that we know that Jesus was really dead. First thing he wants to establish is that Jesus was confirmed as dead by a Roman soldier. He, he has to go and check whether Jesus has died. And because he has already died, he doesn't break his legs. He finds out, first of all, by putting a sword into his side. And out comes the blood and the water separated. And that is proof that Jesus was fully dead. A Roman soldier who had done these executions before was there testifying, attesting to the fact that Jesus was dead. He was gone. And there was proof of that. 
And so it's beyond the realms of possibility that Jesus somehow survived the cross. You know, that, that somehow there's a mix-up and he was just sort of weak, weakened by the cross. No, he was dead. He couldn't have revived himself, pushed away the stone, and even walked to India. He couldn't have done any of those things. He was dead. Um, so next up, we're going to read uh, the next little bit, carrying on from verse 38. And we're going to find out that we know where Jesus' body was put. Um, so that's the second thing we're going to see. From verse 38. After these things, Joseph of Arabithea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for the fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took away his body. Nicodemus also, who earlier had come to Jesus by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 70 pounds in weight. So they took the body of Jesus and bound it up in linen clothes with the spices, as is the custom, the burial custom of the Jews. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. So because the, Jew, the Jewish day of the preparation, since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. Did you catch uh, where the body was laid? Just not far from the crucifixion, the garden, a new tomb. The reason they put the body there was because it was close. The Sabbath was drawing near. Um, they had to act quickly. They took the body. And that wasn't where they would have chosen to put Jesus' body. They could have found much more suitable places for it, where they were closer to where they lived, where they could have honoured him, where they could have done all the things that they needed to do. But they put him in this tomb, this one tomb right by the crucifixion site. If you think about it, that means that everything that they did from when he came down off the cross was in full view of the Roman soldiers and everyone else who was at the crucifixion. There wasn't any sort of, oh, we're just going to go miles away on a cart and a donkey and, and, and then therefore anything can happen, right? It was all in full view of the people who carried out the crucifixion. So they would have seen, oh yeah, something shifty is going on here. So that's the next thing we know. We know where Jesus' body was put. John tells us where Jesus' body was put. Uh, But this is the thing. We know that Jesus' body was missing. We're going to have our next reading, which is Mercy, going to come up and read from verses 1 to 9 of chapter 20. Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and so the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran out to Simon Peter and their other disciple. And the, and the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going towards the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen clothes lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen clothes lying there and the face cloth which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen clothes, but folded up in a place by itself. 
Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in and saw, and he saw and believed. For as, for as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. The body wasn't there. They went to the same tomb where Jesus' body was laid. Stones rolled away. There's no body. It's the women in the morning of the Sunday. And uh, then the women told the men, and of course, it, not much has changed because men don't believe what women say, you know. Um, so they have to go and check it out for themselves because they're proud. We've got to see for ourselves, right? Um, and then they get there and they, they can't deny that what they see. You know, it says that the disciples believed. What are they believing exactly? Because it says that as yet they did not understand the scriptures that Jesus would rise. So what are they believing? They're just believing that the body wasn't there. <laughs> you know? So they're in, the, they're in the tomb. The body's not here. We believe the body's not here, right? They were forced to believe that because the body wasn't there. And at this point, it is worth taking stock because um, this leaves us with a few options. Nobody means that a few things. It could mean uh, people stole the body or maybe they just stole, they came to uh, rob the grave. But then you've got to ask, why the linen cloths? Cloth was worth a lot more then and harder to come by and they would have wanted the cloths rather than leaving it behind uh, perhaps um, people uh, moved the body hid, hidden the body right? intentionally moved it to hide it well who's the suspects the only people who would really want to do that the disciples yeah they're the only ones with motive to do that the Jews they didn't want to start a rumour like that. Romans and Pilate, they wouldn't want to start a rumour either. Why would they want to do that? He didn't want to get involved in the death. Why would he then want to meddle in affairs afterwards? So you've got to ask the question. The body's not there. What happened? John is very upfront about what his explanation is. Because he was one of those who saw... And he wants to show us what, what, uh, what took place and what they saw um, on that uh, Sunday morning. But it's not the disciples who first see and hear Jesus, is it? Who, who does? Mary. Mary, right. So a woman, again, first one there, she turns up at the tomb. She's the one who finds the, the body not there. And she says, like any of us would... Well, obviously, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb. That's her conclusion. It's pretty the same as any of our conclusion would be. Well, someone must have taken the body. I mean, we turned up here and the drum pedal wasn't there. I was like, well, someone's nicked it. You know, that's the conclusion. She said, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they have laid him. So that's what Mary's thinking. And you'll see in a moment when we do the reading. She doesn't really move from that thought, from that um, assumption, right? Um, let's have a read. Um, so we're going to have a read from verses 11 to 18. Verona's going to come and do that. 
Um, and we're going to see what Mary, how Mary uh, interpreted the situation. Um, let's read from verse 20, uh, 11 to 18 of chapter 20. Can you read from verse 10? Okay. Then the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary, She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalena went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And that he had said these things to her. First person to the tomb was Mary. And this isn't the, the mother of Jesus, um, that Mary. There's a lot of Marys in the gospel. I think there was three at the cross, in fact. Um, this is one of those. And we read about her in Luke um, chapter 8. It says the twelve were with Jesus, so the disciples, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary called Magdalene, perhaps after the place that she came from, from whom seven demons had gone out, who provided for them out of their means. So that's the Mary that we're talking about here. Perhaps out of her means, she was the one who was able to buy the spices and all of the things that they were bringing to the, to, to the tomb. Um, But she had had seven demons cast out of her by Jesus. People would have known her for that, I presume, right? They would have known her for that when she had the seven demons and also for the transformation that had taken place. And she's the one who comes. But we see, don't we, that it takes a a while. You know, she would have, she stood at the, the foot of the cross where she saw Jesus' crucified body. She would have heard Jesus teach about his dying, predicting his death, and also predicting him rising again. But now, what she's saying, well, she's persisting to say they've taken my Lord, isn't she? Even when angels, two angels are standing there before her, where is he? They've taken the body. And even when she hears Jesus' voice, she thinks, oh, that must be the person who's taken the body. She's on a one-track mind. And yet, this is, this is Mary, who hears Jesus call her name, and then she knows it's him. Mary. Well, not just the fact that 
anyone who, how does he know my name? But presumably the way he said it was exactly the same way he said it before. Mary. And she says, Rabbanai, which means teacher. But then Jesus sends her off. And he sends her off. He says, don't cling to me now. This is not my time to ascend. I'm not going to suddenly disappear out of sight, Mary. So you don't need to hold me down. The ascension has not yet happened. But I want you to go to my brothers, to the disciples, and say to them, I'm ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. We're going to look at one more group um, of people who saw and heard Jesus. And they're the guys who we were suspecting had fabricated this whole thing. Yeah, the disciples. Let's have a look at what they're doing in in chapter 20. Um, And Sam's going to come and read from verse 19 onwards. John chapter 20, verse 19. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Please try again in a moment. Sorry, he must have said Siri. Carry on. (laughs) Peace. Siri doesn't know the answer to this question, the Bible. Uh, Carry on. So, verse 20. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Thanks, Sam. The doors are locked. If we were to choose one or two words to describe the group of people that we hear of in this, in this reading, what kind of words would we throw out to describe them? What, you know, what characteristics have, do they demonstrate? Scared. <laughs> Scared, yeah. They've locked the doors for fear of the Jews, right? The very people who had got their leader arrested and put to death well, of course they're going to fear. Because they're thinking, Mark, we're going to be next. They've got the leader, now they're going to pick off the, the people, the, the group. So fear. And also doubt. Isn't it? Thomas. The only person in the Bible that gets an adjective before him. We don't know him as Thomas. We know him as doubting Thomas, don't we? So Thomas gets, uh, gets his own one. This is actually just a painting. Um, but it's the incredulity of Thomas, St. Thomas, and he's prodding his finger in. 
He looks actually blind, doesn't he, in that photo? In terms of, he's looking away. Maybe there's a spiritual blindness thing um, there. But he's poking the hole in Jesus' side. Because Thomas isn't there when the original appearance happens with the disciples. He's one who's missing. And he won't even believe all of the other disciples. All his mates are saying, no, Thomas, yeah, it really did happen. And he's going... You know, he, he's the ultimate sceptic. And he says, unless I put my, see in my hands the marks, unless I see in his hands the marks of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. It's like a triple lock, isn't it? It's like three things he wants to see. I want to see the hands and the marks of the nails. I want to place my finger into the marks to see that I'm not just hallucinating. And I want to put my hand into his side. And then I'll know it's Jesus. And that's exactly what happens. So this group of people who we suspected of fabricating the whole thing are fearful. They're not sort of boldly plotting away. though. The, the progress that happens between day one, um, the first day of the week in verse 19, and eight days later in 26, the doors are still locked. You know, they're not mustering up amazing courage or plotting this amazing revolution by eight days later. They're still hiding away. So this group who had the motive maybe to hide Jesus' body, they've been, they're not doing any such thing. They haven't even thought of doing that. They're just thinking of their own skin, Right? And Thomas here, who's doubting, is the one who says, I've got to see it, I've got to see it to believe it. I've actually got to touch it to believe it. And that's exactly what happens. And it is the right response, isn't it? If something like that was to happen, you saw your best friend, who was dead, out for the count, and the next minute he's standing right before you, and you're going... It is the right response, isn't it? My Lord and my God! (laughs) That just doesn't happen, right? It's not like, oh, okay. Great, ha ha. You know, like the disciples say, um, I think it's funny, isn't it, when it says, um, if you look down with me on verse 20. I think that's the biggest understatement of the century in verse 20, right? And then the disciples were glad when they saw him. It's a passing comment. Of course they were glad. They were over the moon. Jesus was back from the dead, just as he said he would be. And if you think about the fact that these same, this same group, that are huddled together, hidden away, are going to be the same men that were set off on a campaign to tell all of the region and further afield that Jesus had risen from the dead with boldness and courage... You could ask, that's got to be some transformation. And when you add, add to, the, to that the persecution they faced to the point of death, would they continue to defend a story that they knew was a lie? Would you, even if you were a group of people in amongst a group, be, put your neck on the line for something that you knew was a lie? There come a point where you say, okay, we've, we've given it a good shot. 
But it's not worth the cost, is it? The cost is now too high for me to continue this life. They wouldn't do it. Perhaps what actually gave them such boldness and resilience was the very fact that they did see what they are telling us they saw. They did see Jesus risen from the dead. They, Thomas did put his hands in his side and do that. Uh, but there is just one more group that Jesus wants us to think about. And it's there in verse 30. Um, so this is the very climax of verse 29 and 30 of this whole chapter. And the reason why we're looking at it today. So um, please do look down with me at verse 29 and 30. I'll read verse 28. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to Thomas, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus is talking about people in 21st century Britain today uh, from Dagenham who have not seen Jesus resurrected because they can't possibly and yet have believed. And if you read verse 30 as well, John himself says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. The signs John has recorded, and it includes the very latest one that he's just recorded, the resurrection are to show you and I that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. That's who he is. The scriptures foretold it. Jesus himself told us that's who he is. And the only proof of it, really, for us is, and it is a a great proof, isn't it, is these amazing miracles. And even himself coming back from the dead. And to believe that this is who Jesus is, is to receive new life. Welcome, guys. Come on in. What kind of new life does this bring? Well, if you want to look briefly down with me um, at these verses, uh, verse 17 I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. This new life means that you can know God as your Father. Uh, verses 19, 21, and 26. You can have peace with God because Jesus says, uh, Peace be with you. This is peace with God. That's what that new life brings. In verse 22, you will receive the Holy Spirit. In verse 21, you will be sent out as Jesus was sent to the lost people of this world. And in verse 23, you will have your sins forgiven. That's the new life that this brings. So that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life. You may know your sins forgiven. You may receive the Holy Spirit. You may have peace with God. And you can know God as your Father. And you can call him Father. That's the new life that is waiting for you. So going back to where we started with those events at the start. The weather on my wedding day. Hannah and I can discuss that afterwards. It's not going to make a great bit of difference what what weather we had on our wedding day. But 
We can see now that the resurrection of Jesus doesn't fit that category. Either way, it really does matter. And we really should find out for ourselves whether it really did happen or not. We've really got to make a decision. And we might have known that the stakes were high because after all, this would prove that there really is life after death. And all of the things that we experience that are so painful, isn't it, in our lives, the things that we see on the news going on around us, it's all got the, the, the shadow of death and the mark of death on it. So the stakes are high. If this is true, Jesus did really do rise from the dead, then there really is life after death. Put that discussion to bed, doesn't it? But the stakes are high also because the Father was keeping his word to vindicate Jesus. Jesus put all his trust in, in the Father. Was that trust misplaced? No. Jesus was, was delivered from death. Uh, so what about you? Well, the resurrection really does change in everything. And I hope that um, maybe through this time we've had, or maybe through taking away the books that we've got, these, uh, are you 100% sure you want to be an agnostic? Well, just ask, you'd be able to ask yourself the question, have I really considered the evidence? Or have I just assumed this, this has to be a load of rubbish? It doesn't normally happen that people come back from the dead and therefore it can't happen. And if, it, if you say that, then that's where the conversation ends, isn't it? If you look at what Jesus himself said, um, then you can make a decision on it. Uh, for those who don't yet yeah, know Jesus, the resurrection is all the proof that this book of the Bible says we are going to need to know that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And actually, it's not going to be a lack of evidence that stops us from believing that. It's going to be a hard heart. A heart that doesn't want to know God because of the consequences of that. And the Bible talks about a spiritual blindness. It's not for lack of evidence. God has to remove the scales from our eyes. And maybe if in our humility we say, if God humbles us to say, I have been re- resisting you, God. I've been quite happy with me running my life as it is. If we're honest with him and we ask him to do that, perhaps the scales will fall from our eyes too. Perhaps he will be merciful to show us that this is who he is. Uh, for those who are already believers, well, that's quite a few people in this room, I'm sure. John is clear that the resurrection is our prompt to go and to tell others about it. Notice how every single person in this chapter who sees Jesus alive, the first job they're given to do is to tell others. And that's why we've got this written in front of us, isn't it? Because people did that. Those who saw that Jesus was alive went and told what they had seen. And John puts together the resurrection, the ascension of Jesus and the coming of the Holy Spirit into one event here. Let me show you that. The message that Jesus gives Mary um, in verse... Where does it say that? Um, Do not cling to me, verse 17. He says, Say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. 
And then, when he commissions the disciples, in verse 21, he says, Peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And then he said, Receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit didn't come upon the disciples at that moment. We know, don't we, that the Holy Spirit came down at Pentecost. They received the Holy Spirit then. So why is John recording that Jesus said this here? Well, I think it would be because um, the purpose of people believing and seeing who Jesus is is so that they may go and tell others. And with the ascension of Jesus and the coming of the Holy Spirit, that was where the gospel was going to go to the ends of the earth. So if you're a Christian here today, if you believe who Jesus is, that he is the Christ, the Son of God, you've believed what you've heard about him, we should tell others. And we can tell others because of the Holy Spirit we've been given in order to do that. And so the resurrection really is what kickstarts evangelism. Because Jesus ascended, he gave the Holy Spirit that we may be the witnesses to him. And if, you're, if you'd say you're a Christian and that isn't really on the agenda for you, it just begs the question, am I really a Christian? Doesn't it? The Holy Spirit who comes to those who believe is all about people knowing who Jesus is and, and more people knowing who Jesus is and if that isn't your heart's desire, it could be that you're not even a Christian. That you haven't yet believed it for yourself. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for sending your son. Thank you that Jesus spoke about his death and his resurrection. And thank you that when he appeared to those who had heard many times him say those words, that they saw that it was true. And thank you that they, you sent them out so that they would tell others what they had seen and heard. And thank you that we have that here in front of us today. But we know, Lord Jesus, that you would have to open our eyes in order to see it for ourselves, not just to leave this aside and move on with our lives. Uh, so we pray that you would do that, that you would move in our hearts, that this would be the thing that really changes us Um, the fact that you have come back to life and that you will return. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.